Well, hey, good morning. It's wonderful to be with you today. Go ahead and grab a seat. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. And you will see we are starting a brand new series. It's called Love Always. And I am so excited about this series. In the first place, I'm excited because I, on the front of your handout, you'll see the, the graphic for this series. And I absolutely love the graphic. It reminds me of my childhood, the color scheme of my kitchen growing up. Did anybody, by the way, have an avocado refrigerator? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, we're, we're, we're together. We're in the same, you know, thing here. Uh, the second reason I'm so excited about this series is because um, this is what we have been living into. So for those of you who have been on the journey with Overlake for a number of years, any length of time, you'll recognize some of the themes that we're going to be talking about in this series are things that we have already encountered in Outlandish Love or in Blessing My City. But what we're doing is we're really drilling down and, and we're trying to recognize that this is is for us foundational. In fact, we would just say for followers of Jesus, the things that we're talking about are going to be absolutely foundational. That it will change sort of the way in which that we approach all sorts of things as the family of God. And so I'm really, really excited to see, again, there are themes that you recognize and you go, oh, this sounds familiar and yet we're going down, we're drilling down, we're going deeper. Please, if there's ever a series where you decide, you know what, we're just going to come all four weeks, we're going to come every single week, this would be that series. It's just going to be that important, that exciting. So uh, I look forward to being on the journey with you. We're just going to jump in. There, there's a passage of scripture right at the, the front of your outline. We're going to jump in and we're going to spend most of our time in the scripture today. So let's, let's go after it. The first is this. It says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So friends, we're going to unpack this passage because it's powerful, because it's foundational. We're going to see it's not just an aspect of faith, that this is actually the core. This is the crux, and, and this is what we want to go after. And it begins with just that wonderful address, dear friends. And I, I love it. This is written by the apostle, the disciple John. And I love John's heart. I, I love who he is. He's so tender. He's so gracious. In fact, the name John means God is gracious. And God has been gracious to us through the disciple John. That he's, he's just so loving. In fact, some of your translations, uh, instead of dear friends, it says the word beloved. And we don't use that word very often, but when John is writing these words, he's actually an older man. And you could just imagine that his face is like, it's got laugh lines and it's just all of the wrinkles just communicate his compassion and his eyes are twinkling with love. And, and you might know John's story. He was most likely a teenager when he was a follower of Jesus. When in Jesus' earthly ministry for three years, he was with Jesus and he was probably a teenager. And when he was watching, when he was on the, the hill of Calvary and watching Jesus nailed to a cross in that moment, and Jesus turned to John and, John, and said, uh, John, behold your mother, talking about his mother Mary. And then he said to his own mom, uh, woman, behold your son. He was, Jesus was essentially adopting John into his family in that moment. 
And so you could imagine that John, he might have been 20 years old when that experience took place. And then he had seen so much of the birth of the first church that followed after Jesus. He had seen victory after victory. He'd seen miracles take place and just this incredible growth as people were telling other people about how Jesus has revolutionized their lives. And so he had this long history of following Jesus and seen great, great things. And yet he had also seen the persecution of the church. And he'd also had dear friends that were martyred. He'd seen the other, his fellow disciples be slaughtered for their faith. And, and so you could imagine that John's heart had been filled and then broken and then reformed by Jesus and then broken again by love and then be reformed again by Jesus and then been broken again by love. And it's almost like that, that art form, that Japanese art form, kintsugi, where pottery is broken and then molded back together with gold. And Jesus had done that so many times in John's life again and again and again that at this point, John is more gold than clay. And it's the picture that I want Jesus to take me on. And I, I know many of you have that same heart that, oh, John is just, he's so gracious. And so he says to the church that he's writing to, dear friends, beloved, he's saying that to us today. Dear friends, he says, let us continue to love one another. And again, this verb, like so many of the Greek verbs, it's not merely love, although some of your translations just translate it like that, love one another. It's not merely love, it's love and continue to love. That's the meaning in the Greek tense. And we talked about this just a few weeks ago in Jesus' words when he said you're to ask and keep on asking. You're to seek and keep on seeking. You're to knock and keep on knocking, right? That's communicated in the Greek tense. And so we want to make sure that we understand what it is that he's saying to us. It's keep on loving, continue to love. Dear friends, he says, let us love and continue to love one another. And as you look at that phrase on your notes or in your Bible, what you need to make a note of is that you will never meet another person who is not a one another. Everybody is a one another, okay? You're one, I'm another. In fact, can we just say that out loud? You're one, I'm another. All right, so every one of us, right? You're one, I'm another. You'll never meet somebody. You'll never meet, no matter where you go, no matter you know, who you're talking to, you're never gonna encounter someone who's not a one another. In fact, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. Amen. Think about the implications of that. Everyone we meet is a one another. God calls us to love one another, and Jesus has actually chosen the people that we will meet the people that we will show love to. He has chosen them for our sake, for their sake, and for the kingdom's sake. And when it says love one another, continue to love one another, you might think that it means practice love or that it, it means behave in a loving manner. And certainly that's a part of it. That's the first step. But it's deeper than just acting like you love someone. It's actually loving someone. This verse from Romans 12, 9 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. 
hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. You might want to circle the phrase, really love them, because that's what we are called to. We're called to really love one another, to really love people, not just act like we love them, not just be polite or nice, although that's a beautiful thing. That's a great first fruit kind of a step. But it goes deeper than simply doing a loving act. It goes deeper than simply behavior that communicates love. It's actually loving. And, and, and when we talk about love, you might want to jot some of these thoughts down because love is about desiring the very best for the other. Love is about desiring the flourishing of the other, the freedom and the vitality and the joy for the other. And, and we're, love is willing to work on behalf of the other's very best interests. And you say, well, Mike, where do you, where do you get that definition of love? And I would say, I get it from God. Amen. Because that's how God loves you. And that's how he loves me. God desires your very best. God desires your freedom and your flourishing. He desires your joy and your vitality. And guess what? God has worked very hard to ensure that. At great personal cost to himself, God has sacrificed greatly in order to pursue that in your life and in my life. And so that's how we get the definition of love. It's from God himself. And you know, you can't love people from a distance I mean, you can think warm thoughts of people from a distance, but you can't love them. You can't actually love them from a distance. And again, how do I know this? It's, it's because Jesus came near. And he came to earth, and he showed us what love looks like up close. You see, proximity is important when it comes to love. And so we're to really love, love and continue to love, and really love one another. And then John says, anyone who loves and continues to love is a child of God and knows God. So think about that for a moment. This is theology that's essential. The core reality of our faith as followers of Jesus Christ is right here. That we love, and as we love, we're a child of God and we know God. If, if we love with our mind, if we love with our heart, we love with our actions, our behaviors, if we love humbly, with integrity, you're God's kiddo. Amen. That's amazing, and, and it means you know him, and, and you're proving you know him by your love. In fact, that's the next fill-in. You prove you know God by how you love. And for some of you, you're like, well, I don't need to prove it, but I'm talking about you prove it to yourself. I'm not talking about you prove it to other people. I'm certainly not talking about you prove it to God. God already knows what's going on. I'm talking about you know that you're a child of God. You prove it to yourself again and again. How? By how you love. By how you love. Now, loving is a beautiful way to make God look good. It's a beautiful way to make God look good. It's almost like he entrusts you to be his public relations agent. And loving is a beautiful way to make God look good. So all of this is beautiful. All this is fun. Everything I'm so uplifting. This is all great stuff. And then there's this challenge. John writes, anyone who does not love does not know God. 
This is strong stuff from tender John right here. I'm sure it felt unsettling to those who first read the letter, and maybe it feels unsettling to some of us reading it right now. If we love, then we're children of God. Yay! And if we don't love, you don't know God. Right? Are you, are you catching how weighty this is? Right? You get, oh, my goodness. And you might push back and you might say, but I know all kinds of facts about Jesus. But that's not the test. You might say, well, I agree with everything that Jesus ever taught. That's not the test. Jesus never stood before his disciples. He never stood before anyone and said, a new command I give you. Passively agree with everything I say. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. See, that's the proof. Overlake, are you with me? Are you with me today? I can't tell if you're asleep or in shock silence right now. Yeah, this, is, this is powerful, powerful stuff. Now, instantly, my mind is flooded with all sorts of circumstances, all kinds of situations through the last 2,000 plus years where people who say they follow Jesus and people who say they know God do incredibly horrific things to other people who are made in the image of God. It, it's not hard. If you just let your mind kind of wander back through the years, and I'm a student of church history. I'm a, yeah, I love history, so I'm a history buff. And, I, and, and so here's the deal. It's not hard to come up with experiences over the last 2,000 years, situations, and even that are happening currently today, where those who say they love God, those who say they know God, judge, marginalize, condemn, enact injustice against, exclude from opportunity, pursue in warfare and destruction, torture and execute, all while claiming that they love God and know God. The first thing that comes to my mind, and, and as, as I was writing this message this week, it was the Inquisition. And quite honestly, I, I share the Inquisition as an example just because many of us are already familiar with the Inquisition, and it's removed enough to where no, none of us feel threatened by me talking about the Inquisition. I'm guessing, and if you do, you know, sorry. Uh, but the Inquisition, it was started by the Pope in the year 1231, and the last execution, in other words, death, right, murder created by the Inquisition, happened in Spain in 1826. Almost 600 years of the church policing and investigating, torturing and executing those who did not believe exactly what the orthodox belief was at the time. What's interesting is that as you take a look at how the Inquisition worked in practice, so often it was minority groups that were policed by the majority population in any given region. And this is how th this human depravity always works. For instance... The Moors who had migrated into Spain and then converted to Catholicism were 
investigated and policed, tortured and executed, even though they had converted to Catholicism. And you might push back and you go, well, pastor, were they really tortured? I'm not going to show you any like real gross pictures or drawings or descriptions, but we do have a picture. This is at a museum. This is a chastity belt that someone without their permission was locked into in the 1400s in Spain. Now, you look at that and you, you say, oh, okay, that, by the way, that was really mild compared to the other things in the museum. Now, here's, here's the kicker. The kicker in all this is who was it that was doing the questioning, the interrogating? Who was it that was doing the torturing and the executing? Wait for it. It was the priests. Those who had been ordained by the church to do this holy work. Now, friends... I stand here and I look back, you know, with the benefit of hindsight and hopefully the Holy Spirit, I'll just tell you, that is a profound adventure in missing the point, right? Those who say they know God but do not love do not know God. Now here, this is where I'll get in your kitchen a little bit. There are... People in churches all across the globe today who still think they're employed by the Inquisition. And maybe some here. There are people who think it's their job to be the theology police. And if you don't believe orthodoxly, right, uh, if you don't believe the orthodox uh, theology, and by that I mean the way they believe, then they will condemn, they will excommunicate, they will judge, they will marginalize. Friends, that is not our job. Our job in its entirety is to love. Right? That's what we are called to do. We're called to love. Okay, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. Right? So we don't want to judge. We don't want to be a part of that ex uh, inquisition. We want to love. Love illuminates. It illuminates us. It illuminates them. It illuminates the kingdom. So as children of God, if you're filling in the blanks, we are to love first. We are to love last. We are to love everybody, and we are to love always. Love first, love last. Love everybody, love always. Pastor, but what about them? What about that group? What about this parenthetical exclusion? No, that's not a part of what we're called to. We're called to love first and last. We're called to love everybody and love always. Because there are two phrases in this passage of Scripture above we haven't even talked about yet. And it's this, love comes from God and God is love. Friends, that's the foundation. That's the crux of this whole thing. Love comes from God, and God is love. That's what it's all about. And so if you're actually loving and not just pretending, but if you're actually authentically loving and desiring the best for others and serving and caring, uh, not faking or acting, but really, really loving, then you need to know you're participating in the substance of God because love flows from him. 
It's impossible to love outside of God. It's impossible to love apart from God. And you might push back on that statement. I get it. I actually had a really cool conversation with somebody in between services. You say, wait, say, I, I, I don't know about that, Pastor, because I have a friend or, or I have a loved one or maybe I'm the person here. I, I'm an atheist or, or my friend's an atheist and they don't believe in God. They, they, they don't think he exists. And yet they are authentically loving and they're authentically caring and they desire the best for the other and they work on behalf of the best for the other. And so, so I have a problem with you saying that, that it's impossible to love outside of God because my atheist friend, he obviously loves outside of God, apart from God. And I would say to you lovingly, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. Because if he's really authentically participating in love, if he's actually sacrificially loving, then God is infinitely nearer to that man than he dare recognize. You can't love apart from God. Why? Because love comes from God. It flows from God. It's impossible to love outside of the stream of God. Why? Because it doesn't exist there. It only exists from God, flowing from God, because God is love. I was trying to think of an analogy to use, so here it is. Hopefully it lands. It's possible to ski on the mountain without knowing the owner of the resort. No? You know, first service loved it. I don't know what that says about you or them. I, I don't know. It's... It's possible to ski on the mountain without knowing the owner of the resort. In other words, you can participate in love without knowing the source. But the source is God. The source has always been God. The source of love will always be God. People can honestly, sincerely, and humbly participate in love without acknowledging the presence of God. But he is the source, and without him, there is no love. And I keep using the phrase, participate in the substance of God. And you may say, well, Mike, what does that mean? All I'm doing is restating what the scripture has said. We just read it, that God is love. In other words, love is not an attribute of God. Love is not a character quality that God has. God is love. Love is who God is. Love is what God is made of. God is is what love is made of. So because we want to be like God, we seek to become love. We seek to become loving, and we love everyone. We celebrate everyone. Why? Because we recognize the dignity inherent in every single image bearer of God. Every single person we seek to love. That's who we're called to love. For the follower of Jesus, we recognize love is not just a value. It's not even the primary value. Friends, love is the only value. And that's the next fill-in. Love is the only value. And as you take a look at that phrase, and maybe you wrestle with it a little bit, some of you, you've been following Jesus for a long time, and you've been a student of the scriptures for a long time, and so you push back. You say, Mike, there's actually, uh, there's all these other values, and there's all these other commands in scripture, and, and again, we would have this conversation, I would say, but, but I want you to put love is the only value at the top, Amen. and then I would have you think of any other command. Let's just start. Thou shalt not kill. Great command, I affirm it, you should affirm it, let's all not kill together, okay? Thou shalt not kill. 
But here's the value. Love is the only value. Why shall thou not kill? Because it's really hard to love somebody and murder them at the same time. If you love them, you won't kill them. Hopefully we get that. Right? But the excuse me, the value is love. That's the value. And so, yeah, as, uh, as I love you, I will also not kill you. Thou shalt not steal. Why? Because I love you. I'm not going to take your stuff. I'm not going to impoverish you. I'm not going to uh, enact injustice against you. Why? Because I love you. Love is the value. So therefore, I won't steal. How about, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife. You know, like the idea of coveting, you know. I, why? Because I, I love, you know, husband. I love wife. I love family. And I know that coveting and then acting on that covetousness, it's like throwing a hand grenade at a family picnic. And I won't do that because I love them. Do you see how love is the only value and, and all other things cascade from there? Well, what, those are the thou shalt nots. What about the thou shalts? Well, think about it. Everything we're commanded to, to, to pray for one another, to care for one another, the generosity that we're commanded to, the service that we're commanded, all of these things are subsets of love, how we love one another. And so that's what we go after. Love is the only value. And we've talked before about outlandish love. We've talked before about extravagant grace. And, and you need to recognize that all of it stems in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus in John 13, in the last conversation that he had when he was teaching his disciples before the crucifixion, he tells them this. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another. Amen. That's his command. That's what he wants to make sure they get and they do not miss. And then he follows it up a few minutes later. He says, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And how did Jesus love them? He loved them extravagantly. He loved them graciously. He loved them consistently. He loved them patiently. He loved them sacrificially. He served them by washing their feet. He, he took care of them. He desired their best and worked toward it. That's how we are to love. Now, as a, as a subset of this primary value at Overlake, we say that this is a safe place to be on the journey. We know we're all on a spiritual journey. And so as a part of that journey, we have to recognize that we might not be totally there yet. In fact, we confess that we're not totally there yet. And that by the grace of God, you know, I'm not where I was a year ago. I'm not where I was five years ago. I'm sure not where I was 10 years ago. I'm on a journey with the Lord. He's patient in bringing me along. And if that's true for me, it's also true for you. And if that's true for you, it's true for everybody you meet. And so, yeah, that's the safety, right? That's the love. That's the grace that we build in, in outlandish love and extravagant grace. We were talking about this concept as a team this week. And our worship pastor, Pastor Jessica, she said this. And I just want to share with you because I think it's so brilliant. She says this. She says, love always gets in my space. <laughs> love always gets in my space. Right, And she was just talking about how it's a concept that we agree with in general. It's a concept that we think of. It's, it's, it's nice. It's loving. It's like super light. It's like la, la, you know, flowers and hippie and all. But to actually practice this, it gets up in our space. And what it means is this, that we are to, to love when we're at Target. 
and we're to love when it's your mother-in-law, and we're to love the annoying neighbor, and we're to love the person you demonize. Oh, wait, you can't demonize anyone if you're going to love them. It's to love the person on the opposite end of the political spectrum, to love the friend you disagree with, to love the person who thinks you're wrong. It's to love the person who pushes your buttons. (laughs) The chances are good that there is a person in your life who knows how to push your buttons. There's the chance that they know exactly on the emotional vending machine that is you how to push the button that elicits the product frustration. Very good. In fact, I just want to tell you, don't elbow the person next to you right now. You might be their person, just so you know. And by way of just being authentic with you today, I'll share a story with you. And uh, many of you know, and I've talked about him before, but many of you know my, my dad, he, he's a great guy. He's been on trips with us before to Israel and Greece, and I'm trying to talk him into going with us this summer to Puerto Rico. And um, he's just, he's, he's a retired Marine, and he's a retired teacher, and he's an engineer, and a retired Boy Scout, and, and he just likes to help. That's just who he is. And again, great guy. Many of you know him. But friends, my dad more than any other human being on this planet, knows how to push my buttons. And I've, my family and I, we've been up here in Washington for 14 years, been at Overlake for that long. And, and uh, a couple of years ago, he's up here visiting from California. And, and it, it happens to be kind of a cold, wet, you know, just a dreary kind of a day, uh, weather that we, you know, call normal. And... <laughs> And so we decide we're going to have a fire in the downstairs fireplace. And so I go and I get the kindling and the wood and the newspaper and I'm, I'm starting to set it up in the fireplace. And all of a sudden, he, he turns into a coach. He starts, you know, telling me what I should be doing. And he's like suddenly the Jedi master of fireplaces. And, and so he's like, now, son, l- listen, you're going to need to put the log like this, and you're using too much newspaper. You're going to choke it out. And actually, could you scoot over? Let me go ahead and set this up for you. <laughs> and as he's talking, just the room goes red for me. My spine gets hot. I'm like looking around for a puppy to kick or a baby to make cry or something. Like, I'm just starting to get a flood. And so I find myself saying something like this. I don't know if this is an exact quote, but something like, Father, I'm 45 freaking years old. We have lived in this house a decade, and I've made 1,937 fires in this fireplace. I might not make it up to your standards, you know, your Eagle Scout, Call of the Wild, Flint Rock standards. But I promise you, I know how to do this. Here in Mayberry, excuse me, Woodenville, I know how to make a fire. And it gets kind of quiet. We both sit on the couch and a little embarrassment between both of us. But I stuck in it. He stuck in it. A couple minutes later, I said, oh, you know, Dad, I said, I, I, I don't know why I get so frustrated. I, I go, here's the truth. I, the truth is, I really, I, I like your approval. And I, I like it when you're proud of me. 
and I like it when I do things, and, it, and it's pleasing to you. I said, that's all true. And so when you start coaching me on something that I actually know how to do, you know, believe it or not, I do know how to make fire. My whole family comes to me to make a fire. Like, I, I know how to do this. And so when you start assuming that I don't, and you start assuming incompetence, I, I, just, it just, I just get flooded, and I'm sorry. And he was quiet for a minute, and he says, you know, I don't know why I do it. He says, the truth is, I'm, I'm really, I, I'm so honored to be in your home and love to see, you know, how you're raising your kids. I love to be at your church. And he's, he just said, I, I, I don't know why I do it, but I'm, but I'm sorry. I'm proud of you. And so we just sat there on the couch, just practicing loving one another beside a roaring fire. <laughs> but I say all that because it isn't pretend we'll never have conflict. It isn't agree always. It isn't even like always. It's love always. Who do we love? We love everybody. When do we love? We love always. Why do we love? Because God is love. Love comes from God. Because God loves us. Because we're called to love. And so I want to just really make this something that we walk away with. I want to break it down, and I want to start with you. I want, I want you to make this personal. Right now, you, you sitting in the seat or you watching online, just make it personal. So, so this is for you, right? This is you. And now I want you to make it universal. I want you to make it universal. In other words, no matter what country you are from, and, and so there's a background there. You know there are almost 200 countries on the planet, and so any one of those, no matter what country you're from, it's you. And then it's no matter what creed, no matter what background, no matter what lifestyle or ethnicity or identification or race, no matter what tribe or tongue or education or economic level, you, in other words, not only you personal, but you universal, you are welcome here. You matter to us. You are loved. These things are true. And they're true because God is love. Amen. And now I want you to flip it so that it's not about the other you or the universal you, but I want you to make it first person plural, these statements. In other words, I. I welcome you. You matter to me. I love you. Amen. In fact, Overlake, I would really challenge you, if you can do this, would you repeat those three phrases after me right now? Ready? I welcome you. You matter to me. I love you. Now, friends, if you can say that last line, and if you can live into that last line, and I know most of us want to, most of us are trying to, most of us are seeking to build our lives around this reality with purpose and intention, but if you can say I love you today, and you can say I love you tomorrow, 
You can say I love you when you're looking at that person at work or that person at the store, that person that's frustrating to you. If you can continue to say I love you, then you need to know what the Apostle John said is that you are a child of God. Amen. That you know God Hallelujah. because you love. Amen. Because that's what you want your life to be about. And the flip side, if you don't want to be challenged to love, if right now you're still building the argument that, no, there's this parenthesis, yes, I love, but not these. You're trying to create an argument for why you don't need to love that group, why you don't need to love that person. Why it is that you've justified excluding that person from the call to love. Then again, I just want to point you to what John says. You don't know God. I just want you to think about the Inquisition. They thought they knew God. They thought they were working for God. And they were profoundly missing the point. Because the point is love. And so I, I want to drill this thing home. I want to try to land this plane. And again, I'm going to point to the person of Jesus Christ. Do You see, the truth of this whole paradigm, why we're going after this, is because you matter to Jesus. Amen. You matter to Jesus. And that's you personal, and that's you universal. And all you have to do is open the pages of Scripture to see that Jesus is the one who left his father's side and came to earth. He's the one who came proximate to us. He's the one who pursued us in love. Why? Because you matter to him. Jesus is the one who chose to live a life of poverty, a, a life of humility, a life of service. Why? Because you matter to him. Jesus is the one who allowed himself to be mocked to be spit upon, to have his beard ripped from his face. Jesus allowed himself to have a crown of thorns thrust down on his head and a purple robe thrown around him, and people mock him. You're the king, they said, as they beat him, and he was the king, and he allowed himself to go through all that. Why? Because you matter to Jesus. He allowed himself to be put on a cross, to have nails thrust through his hands and his feet. He allowed himself to be hung up so that passerbys could see and mock him. Why? Because you matter to Jesus. You matter to him. Friends, Jesus is love incarnate. And if we are going to be followers of Jesus then we need to challenge ourselves to love like he does. You see, the Bible is really clear that Jesus is real love. I want to close with this last scripture on your outline. This is, again, from John. It's, It's the passage that immediately follows what we've looked at today. And he writes, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Please circle that phrase. 
This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is real love. Jesus shows us what real love is. Jesus is love incarnate. And so, friends, what I want to do is I want us to, to end our time together coming to the table that he established. This table that actually unifies all of his followers across all the globe, across all of the years. That as we come together celebrating the real love of Jesus, it empowers us to live lives of real love toward one another. And so in just a moment, we're going to come to the tables, and there's tables set up in the front, in the middle, and in the rear of this room. But I want you to remember that it was on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was arrested, it was on the night that his torture began for his crucifixion, that he took the bread and he broke it. And he handed it out to his disciples, including the one who betrayed him. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat this bread, remember me. Then he took the cup and he filled it. He passed it around to his disciples. He said, this cup, this represents my blood, which is poured out for you. He says, every time you drink this cup, remember me. And so, friends, we're going to have a chance to do this together. And as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup, my prayer is that you experience these elements coming inside your very body, representing his love, empowering your life so that we can live a life of love like he calls us to. Why don't you stand with me now, and I'm going to pray for us. And then when you're ready, after, after we pray, when you're ready, please feel free to make your way to one of the uh, tables around the room, okay? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for how you love us. We're so grateful for your reckless love that has pursued us through the ages. We're so grateful that before we ever thought to call out to you, you'd been whispering our name for our entire life. Thankful for you. Thankful for for you climbing every mountain, tearing down every lie, breaking through every barrier we have built. You have pursued us in love. And we are so thankful for your grace, for your patience. We're so thankful that you empower our lives and give us purpose and meaning. And we are just, we're praising you today. But we also want to confess that we don't love perfectly. That there are one another's in our world that we have excluded from loving. That we avoid loving. That we pretend don't need our love. And so Lord Jesus, even as we come to the table today, would you empower us to be love? where it's difficult to be loved, that we would show love to those that it's difficult for us to show love to, and that we would really love instead of just pretending. We pray all these things knowing that you love us, you have grace, you have patience, and for that we are so grateful. Praying all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.